I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, and this is a recording for March the 14th. March the 14th. This is a recording provided by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. I want to take us to the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'll introduce this in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul knew these people. He had spent some time with them when they first became Christians. Before writing this letter, it was reported to him that the church was divided. Paul is responding as an inspired apostle of Christ to this problematic situation in Corinth. It was not that there was just one issue. Several problems arose in that local church that needed attention from God through the Apostle Paul. As you read through 1 Corinthians, you can just make a list of all the problems. Jealousy, immaturity, dependence on human wisdom, sexual immorality, lawsuits among the members, confusion about marriage, questions about food offered to idols, the role of women, spiritual gifts and their use, even the Lord's Supper did not escape abuse. It was certainly a troubled church. And as you read the letter, you detect Paul's sense of urgency about giving remedial instruction, redirecting their energy to the Lord's will, and applying discipline and love in their relationships with each other. Now, Here's what I want to do with our time. I call this sermon Corinthian Warnings. As individual Christians and as members of a local church, I know we don't want to ever become like Corinth as people or as a group. This is a colorful example written in the New Testament of what not to do, how not to think and act and speak. So, I have for us three warnings from the Corinthian letter, and then I'll conclude with a positive note from the same epistle. I hope you have your Bible with you and that it is open to 1 Corinthians. Number one, don't build your life on human wisdom. Don't build your life on human wisdom. Listen, please, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 25. Paul said, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. One way to think of this is, 
Who has real wisdom? Who has real wisdom? And of course, the answer is God, the creator. While God made us in his own image, loves us, and offers to save us through Christ, he has not bestowed upon us wisdom equal to him. We don't know everything God knows, and we are certainly not equal to God or above him in wisdom. In this passage, God stands above all. God stands above us. To such a remarkable degree, Paul said the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, that's accommodative language, and it is designed to make the point, may I say it like this, make the point of how lacking we are in wisdom compared to God. Now, while your Bible is still open to that place, listen to how Paul expands on this, Moving now into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 to 5. Paul said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The point, mark that last verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, our faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of God is delivered to us through the gospel of Christ. Don't build your life on human wisdom. There is today, and going all the way back to New Testament times and before, a worldview, a school of thought that is often called humanism. Humanism alleges that man's wisdom is the ultimate. Of course, we believe that is wrong. But one problem with that way of life is human wisdom is not unified. Men who are considered wise in any time or culture are not in agreement about what is wise. And so in Corinth, there was what? Division. Some believe their men and their group held a good grip on wisdom. Others opposed their claims of wisdom and promoted their own take on wisdom and what their group thought was wise. So this history warns us today. The takeaway is our faith ought to rest not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, which is delivered to us through the gospel of Christ. Speaking personally, I am constantly aware and I often confess there are men and women smarter than me with knowledge I've not acquired. I am impressed with the academic background of so many who have attained extraordinary knowledge, but I will not build my life on what they say. 
I will not agree that these intellectuals exalted by humanists are not, are equals to God, or that I need their wisdom to lead me to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.29, no human can boast in the presence of God. Number two, don't be brought into bondage. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In the confusion, division, and humanistic trends in Corinth, all kinds of arguments and excuses were offered to justify sexual immorality and other sins. You learn back in chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, there was a man in that local church guilty of sexual immorality. And it was not just a suspicion or rumor, it was confirmed and commonly known and, sadly, tolerated. No rebuke or action. Well, a variety of weak arguments and slogans and excuses were made in a vain effort to justify sexual immorality. Here, Paul, I believe, states or quotes one of their vain arguments and destroys it by bringing to their attention the reality of being dominated or brought into bondage by something that isn't helpful. Even if something is right, though Paul doesn't concede that in this context, he goes with their argument Even if you think something is right, you must consider, is it helpful, and will it really turn out to be a loss of self-control? The indulgence, the bondage of living like that. Often, when arguments are made that something is permitted, there is another dimension of that behavior not accounted for. Is it helpful? and being a slave to that thing that you say is permitted. In chapter 10, verse 8, Paul clearly says we should not indulge in sexual immorality. So he doesn't concede this is right, but even if it were right, there is this reality of being in bondage to something that isn't helpful. What helps me understand this is 2 Peter 2.19 where Peter says there were men who were making big promises of liberty and freedom. They promised them freedom, Peter said, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Paul is responding here in 1 Corinthians 6. He is responding to one of the commonly offered excuses are slogans of that time. He is saying your slogan doesn't prevent you from being in bondage, a slave to the behavior you're trying to justify. The takeaway for us is when we argue liberty to do something, there should be a dynamic pause to consider, one, is it helpful, and two, will it bring me into bondage? Those who argue in defense of their indulgences ought to stop and ask, am I being mastered by that indulgence? 
am I being mastered by that that I call a liberty? I've actually heard arguments defending pornography made by men who became enslaved, dependent, ruined, and obsessed by what they claimed was a liberty. Well, this becomes another warning for us out of the epistle that Paul wrote to the troubled church in Corinth. Number three, don't cause someone to stumble. Let's listen to this as argued by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Context. Some of the unrest in the church at Corinth concerned religious diet influence claims concerning meat from the marketplace that may have been remnants from idolatrous altars. Paul said earlier in chapter 8, an idol has no real existence. There is no automatic spiritual or moral contamination from food. However, what must be taken into account is how will this affect others? What message or influence might be conveyed? That's the context of 1 Corinthians 8-9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Here again, an argument is made, I have a right to do this, but in the exercise of that right, Others may be encouraged to violate their conscience. The takeaway, the warning for us is, I must always be concerned about the impact or the message my behavior sends to others, even when I'm doing something that doesn't violate my conscience. Paul teaches in this context, the food doesn't automatically contaminate you spiritually. But if your consumption is known by others who are still sensitive to that matter, take that into account. Paul was so strong about this point, he said in the last verse in chapter 8, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Technically, it may be right, no sin involved. But shouldn't we consider these sensitive matters in terms of influence? That's the warning. And this is based on love for your weaker brother. Now, we've considered these three warnings. Remember, I promised a positive to close. The New Testament epistles contain warnings for Christians today, but also positive statements of good aim, direction, and assurance. I want to give you a couple of those before I close. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. If I want to resist the temptation to be captivated or deceived by human wisdom, if I want to never use my liberty or claim to liber liberty to become a slave or cause my brother to stumble, I need to have this purpose firmly fixed deep in my life, do all to the glory 
of God. That will guard my heart. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul in the Corinthian correspondence gave stern rebuke, warnings, and what we could call remedial instruction, instruction to fix their problems according to the will of God. He did all of that inspired by the Spirit of God, loving these people and encouraging them to abound in the work of the Lord, engaged in labor that was not in vain. May that be my purpose and your purpose to avoid the personal and congregational mess that was at that time the church at Corinth. I was teaching 1 Corinthians one time many years ago, and in the course of the study, one brother spoke up and said, I'm sure glad they made all those mistakes. Now I know what kind of person I shouldn't be and what kind of church we shouldn't be. Well, we never want to be glad that people get off track. We're so deceived and carnal. But we can be glad that God responded through the writings of the Apostle Paul. Read the Corinthian letter to help you abound in the work of the Lord. And thank you for listening to this recording presented by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas.